Good morning and welcome. Glad to see everybody out this morning. We don't have many announcements, but I do want to say there's a four o'clock meeting with the mission team here today. I assume that's still on. All right. And we will start our Wednesday night dinners back on um, August 4th. So be sure and get your reservation into the office. And don't forget the attendance sheet on the end of each row. We'd like to make sure we have attendance of everybody that's here. And I don't have any more announcements. Does anybody have any? All right. Well, let's just stand and greet our neighbors.
Now the children, if you'll come up for children's moment. have anybody and all of a sudden they all came in the door there's more I know good morning the sermon this morning the preacher's going to talk about worship that's a that's a word what do we even know anything about worship what is worship how do we use that word can you guess just anything what praying to God good one Praising in song. Good answers. Well, if you go out there at the door, though, this morning, and you're out there doing other things, is that the way we use worship? Praying to God? I don't think so. Have you ever heard anybody say, I just worship the ground he walks on? You're pretty crazy about him if that happens, isn't it? If you say something like that, you just worship. Well, worship is a de- love, devotion to something. Or someone. You love them a lot. So can we remember that? That's part of worship. And when we act on it, we're worshiping. Okay? Can you do that with me? Now, one little insert here, Pastor. I had, until I looked and saw your scripture today, it's the story of Mary and Martha. And I, I understand you're doing worship and work. Our joke in our family over the years, having a sister, that we had Mary and Martha a lot of times around our house, and especially in get-togethers and all, and woe is me, because I would be the Martha inside in the kitchen, and my sister Kay would be out there flitting around doing something, I'm not sure what, but it's, it's been a joke for a long time, so I appreciate that scripture this morning. Now, so we worship, you're worshiping whether you're aware of it or not. You know that? You're worshiping. I want everybody to think about this. If you follow the trail, just take this in your head, of where you put your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your loyalty, and you get to the end of that, whatever the answer to that is, is what you worship. Now, we would hope to be somewhere in there that we come back to the idea of worshiping God. But there are, pe- there are things out there people worship that would not be godlike. And we know that. Well, worship experiences. And when you come in here, this is a worship experience, and you mentioned singing. We pray, right? What else y'all come to church for? Don't you come to kind of see people? visit with friends and just kind of check out on things. How many times we leave these doors and go, oh, gee, now what was that sermon about or whatever? What did I come for today? Is the experience within here, can we, can we focus on what this is about? Worshiping God. We love God. We love God. And we want to share that. Now, let me show you a way. I'm going to, I hope I don't embarrass her, but here we go. This is a visitor to our church today. Maeve Denton is her name. If at some time this morning, later on, you go over to Maeve and you say something like, 
glad to have you. I hope you come back. I like your, I like your shorts you have on today. You're being godlike. God wants us to do those things. And when we do that and become more godlike, what are we doing? We're worshiping. You're worshiping God, okay? So this week, as you think about doing those kind of things, and God would want me to do this, okay? And I am worshiping you, God, in doing it. So everything you think, everything you say, Everything you do reveals what your treasure, what you treasure or value most in life. Is that God? Would be the question today. Have a good week. Good morning. Please stand and join in singing hymn 202, I'll Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. seated as we uh, read the word of God from the gospel of Luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42. Before we do though um, 
Let me uh, say thank you to uh, Lisa Fryer, who is uh, filling in for Jika today. Jika is moving uh, uh, Jada uh, today, and so she's not here. So we're thankful for, for Lisa to fill in today. And also, you will notice that there is a new face up here, and this is Summer Bennett. And uh, we welcome her because as of Wednesday night at our business meeting, Summer is our new music minister. So welcome, Summer. We are glad for you. And I think absolutely. Thank you. We are looking forward to wonderful, wonderful things in our music ministry. So thank you very much and, uh, and welcome. Our scripture for today is Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing, and Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord for you and for me. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. We come to you, O God, our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer, and our friend. And it is the desire of our hearts to magnify your name and to praise you as we should. We want to see Jesus in whom all of your fullness dwells. And, and so we invoke your presence with us this day. You are the giver of all that we have. You are our hope for now and for the hereafter. And so we pray that your goodness and your love will fill our hearts with true gratitude and joy as we worship you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand and sing Holy, Holy, Holy.
Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father and God, please bless these gifts we're about to receive. May we use them to inspire the world, the country, our church, and our community. Please have the blessings and the guidance to our officials to use them in the best ways that we possibly can. And all God's people said, Amen. I want to um, be- begin this morning with a song. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> um, perhaps I should say I want to begin this morning with a song titled, and it's a classic tune by Irving Berlin, made famous in the Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye movie titled White Christmas. The song sim- is simply called Sisters. Some of you are probably familiar with it. It begins by describing how devoted two sisters are to one another. Here are some of the words from this song. Sisters, sisters, there there were never such devoted sisters. Caring, sharing, every little thing we are wearing. All kinds of weather, we stick together the same in the rain and the sun. Two different faces, but in tight places, we think and we act as one. Very strong feelings of devotion there between these two sisters. But then, at the end of this song, there is that famous refrain that says, Lord, help the mister who comes between me and my sister, and Lord, help the sister who comes between me and my man. I guess all that devotion between the sisters only goes so far. And that's the way it is sometimes in family relationships. And why Jesus chose to get involved in a a spat 
between two sisters, I have no idea. He should have known better. Uh, Experts tell us that with regard to sibling relationships, uh, sisters have much more intense feelings for one another, both positive and negative, than brothers do or than brothers and sisters do. And so why would Jesus want to step into a minefield like this? Not only did he risk alienating one or both of these sisters, but in rendering his thoughts on their situations, he he also risked alienating every older sister with a less responsible younger sister who has ever lived. And I imagine that some of you probably know what I'm talking about here. It happens in a lot of families, most families, as a matter of fact. Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem, but but first they take a little side trip to a village called Bethany, which was not very far from Jerusalem. And there they spent some time in the home of a woman named Martha. Now I want you to notice that in, in Luke's version here, It didn't say in the home of Mary and Martha. It said Martha's house. Luke tells us that this was Martha's house. Perhaps Martha was a widow. Uh, That might explain how she happened to own a house, which was uh, not very common for a woman in those days. And this also may explain why Martha is often thought to be the older sister here. That and the fact that she seems to be more responsible now. I probably stepped on some toes there, didn't I? Uh, I I may be getting myself into trouble here, but uh, because I know that every um, that younger sisters are not always irresponsible. (laughs) Yeah, but I think I can speak with some some sense of uh, of surety here because I'm the youngest in my family as well. I'm the youngest of three brothers, and, and and here it is. Studies of the effects of birth order on how people conduct their lives suggest that older children are generally more responsible. At least that's the contention of Dr. Kevin Lehman in his book titled The Birth Order Book, Why You Are the Way You Are. It is a book on family dynamics and sibling relationships. And, and in it, Dr. Lee, Lehman maintains that birth order can often predict the general outcome of one's life. And of course, there are a lot of variables that, that can change these results. But generally speaking, the firstborn, according to Dr. Lehman, is the achiever. And the middle sibling is just kind of goes along, and and the baby of the family craves and and gets all the attention. I know you've all heard it before. And of course, differences in in, uh, sibling performance is at least partly because each sibling is treated a little bit differently from the other siblings. I know that every parent says, well, we we treat all of our children exactly right. Well, no, you don't, because the family dynamics are different. You know, things are different. And, and as, as parents get older, and uh, we, we tend to mellow with age, you know. Um, 
one woman said that she has, has five siblings, three sisters and two brothers, and, and one night she was chatting with her mother about how her mother had changed over the years from her first child to her last child, and her mother agreed that she had mellowed, mellowed a lot over that time period. She said, when your oldest sister coughed or sneezed, I called the ambulance. However, when the youngest brother uh, swallowed a dime, I just told him it was coming out of his allowance. The fact is that parents mellow with time and with experience. And, and, and so, so things are different in the family dynamics. And, and sometimes younger siblings can, can seem just a little bit spoiled. And that's a stereotype. I know. In a sense, in a sense, it's not fair. But some of you who are older children can relate to this story of Mary and Martha, particularly those of you who have younger siblings who are perhaps more, well, shall we say, adventurous. <laughs> anyway, Jesus visits Martha's home. And we need to know that hospitality was a huge deal in Bible times. And Martha, I told you that hospitality was a big deal in Bible times. And get this, Martha, whose name means lady or mistress of the house, was a person who took entertaining guests very seriously especially entertaining Jesus. It seems that Mary and Martha and, and her brother Lazarus, or their brother Lazarus were some of Jesus' closest friends. And, and so she was happy to open her home to Jesus. But of course, by opening her home to Jesus, that meant opening her home also to his 12 disciples and whoever else happened to be traveling along with him as they ventured towards Jerusalem. This meant entertaining a bunch of hungry men, most of whom were probably accustomed to having women wait on them hand and foot. And, and so these disciples probably didn't do a whole lot to help this situation. So can you imagine the burden that Martha must have, have been under? But she took great pride in, in filling her role. She wanted to excel as a hostess and as, as a housekeeper. And I'm sure that, that many of us really admire Martha and can, can relate to her in many ways. However, Martha's, Mary, uh, Martha, Martha's sister Mary was evidently of a different temperament than Martha. In fact, she, she may have been a, a little bit rebellious. And I say that not because of the common stereotype of, of the younger sibling, but because of something quite <clears throat> extraordinary that Mary did. We see Luke tells us that while Martha was frantically at work trying to prepare dinner, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he was saying. And from our perspective, that doesn't seem very significant except that she was not helping her, her sister prepare dinner. But you know something? From a first century perspective, her actions may have been greatly significant. And here's why. In biblical times, to sit at a rabbi's feet, 
That phrase, to sit at a rabbi's feet, meant that you were receiving formal training from him as a disciple, as his disciples. In the same way that the Apostle Paul in Acts said that he sat at the feet of the famous, his, his famous teacher Gamaliel when he was young. And because of the, the patriarchal society in which they lived, these teachings, these teaching situations involved only males. So in other words, instead of helping her sister Mary or her sister Martha, Mary had gone off into the study for a teaching session with the men while Martha was in the kitchen preparing for dinner. So in other words, Mary was intruding herself as an equal into a man's society, a man's world. One commentator says that Jesus would allow her and even encourage her to listen to him as he taught in the house was in and of itself radical. Women were exempt from the study of the Torah and many rabbis actively discouraged women from learning. The Mishnah, which was compiled not long after the New Testament, includes some some pretty cynical thoughts about women. In one place it says, May the words of the Torah be burned. They should not be handed over to a woman. Rabbi Eliezer, who lived around 90 A.D., said, If a man gives his daughter a knowledge of the law, it is as though he taught her lechery. Or one rabbi of that time said it was more profitable to teach your dog the scripture than your wife. Well, so folks, if you think that fundamentalist Muslims have a dim view of women, it's not that much difference from the Orthodox Jewish view in Jesus' time. And so Mary's actions of going and sitting at the feet of Jesus were really quite remarkable. But this is not really what Martha was so upset about. Or maybe it was, and it just kind of came out in another way. But the way it came out was that she was upset because Mary had left her to do all this work. And evidently, that had happened before. You know, I, I think there may be a pattern here, I'm not sure. But it seems that it has happened before. Um, as I'm sure that it happens in a lot of households, Pam. (laughs) Notice that Martha doesn't even bother to go talk to Mary about it. She probably thinks it wouldn't do any good. And so she goes straight to Jesus and and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to come and help me. It's a cry of frustration, isn't it? And it's the same cry of every responsible person who has ever put or ever had to pull more than his or her share of the load because there are others who will not do their fair share of the work. And it happens all the time, doesn't it? It happens in our homes. It happens at our workplace. It happens in civic organizations and it even happens in church. Some people just seem to carry a a heavier load simply because they are by nature more responsible or more reliable or more committed. And that's what's happening here in this household, it seems. 
And I don't believe for a moment that Jesus loved Mary any more than he loved Martha. Nor did he treasure her devotion any more than Martha's. Jesus knew that the world could not function without people like Martha. Our families certainly could not function without people like Martha. And I know that our church couldn't function without people like Martha, could we? Could we? Thank God for them. And thank God for her. And I'm sure that Jesus appreciated Martha's efforts. But this was a critical time in Jesus' ministry. For you see, Jesus knew something that Mary and Martha did not know. He was on his way to Jerusalem to confront the powers there. And he knew that his time on earth was limited. He knew that there would not be any more opportunities for them to be together and to share time and and to share teaching. And so with love in his eyes and and a tender smile on his lips, Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things, but... But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. And I believe that what Jesus was saying to Martha here was was this. Martha, you have so many things on your mind, but, but right now I need for you to focus on just one thing. There will be other times when Mary can help you with the housework, but but right now I need for you both to hear what I have to say about the coming kingdom. So you see, Jesus was not denigrating Martha's role as the mistress of the house. and If he had, I'm sure that he and his disciples would probably go hungry. He was simply saying that there was a time, there's a time and a place for everything. And right now, he needed for them to focus on his mission from the Father. And I think that what Jesus is saying to us in this century today through this passage is that there's a time for work and there's a time for worship. My friends, a successful life is a balanced life. You know, we have some people who are all about work. And some of them are quite successful professionally. And no wonder, some of them may work 70 or 80 hours a week, but but look at what it's done for them. They may have the beautiful home, they may have the expensive automobile and the cabin on the lake. But for some of them, this constant commitment to work has come at the expense of their soul and their families and sometimes even their health. Certainly, they, they, don't, they don't have time to worship. And often people like this will say that, that because they work so hard, Sunday is the only time that they have for their family, as if it's a virtue to neglect either faith or family. And the point that I'm making here is that it's possible to work too hard if it interferes with your faith or with your family. 
Theologian William Stringfellow tells a story of a friend who graduated from Harvard Law School at the same time that, uh, that he graduated from Harvard. And this friend accepted a position at a well-known Wall Street law firm. Well, the classmate got married the summer before he was to begin at the firm. And when he later reported to work, his employer told him that he should have consulted with the firm before getting married. However, they said, since he was already married, it would be advisable for him and his wife to refrain from having any children for at least two or three years. Furthermore, for the sake of his advancement in the firm, he should devote all of his time both in the office and in his personal life to the service of the firm, and children might interfere with that. You hear that? The firm wanted him to have no other God than his work. (laughs) And folks, there are a lot of people today who are making that same kind of commitment to their employer. And I am certainly not knocking hard work here. Don't uh, don't interpret that as as me saying that at all. I'm not knocking hard work at all. As, As Homer Simpson once said, if you really want something in life, you have to work for it. And then he added, now quiet, they're about to announce the lottery numbers. (laughs) Folks, there's nothing wrong with good hard work as long as it does not stand in the way of a close relationship with other people and with God. There's a time for work. There's a time for worship. And here's a very important thing for all of us to know. Worship is an essential part of a successful life. My friends, regular worship produces satisfying life. Regular worship produces healthier families. Regular worship, people who attend worship regularly actually live longer. It's an important part of a balanced life. And and if your work gets in the way of your worship, then folks, you're out of balance. The New Testament scholar Foster McCurley raises an interesting point in his commentary called Wrestling with the Word. McCurley talks about this passage and he says, This story, of course, is the story of of Jesus' visit to Mary and Martha. And what's striking to me is that this occurs immediately after the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is a parable about people going and doing And one gets to wonder about whether or not one can do and do and do and do all the time. Where does one stop for a moment for refreshment? And what kind of refreshment should it be in order to enable us to to go back for more doing? Dr. McCurley says, this is why the story of Mary and Martha is situated immediately after the story of the Good Samaritan. He says, we ha- here we have a person who is doing and doing and doing. Martha received Jesus into her house, and, and she is one who is apparently quite accustomed to providing hospitality. And, and she was beginning to wear out, as we all tend to do. For one thing, it was causing an awful conflict between herself and her sister. And you can just hear her mumbling under her breath. Every time somebody comes to dinner, here I am spending all my time in the kitchen and she's out there enjoying their company. And so she actually goes to Jesus and she says, 
don't you think I deserve a little help in the kitchen? Why don't you tell Mary? Say something to her and get her out there where she belongs. And Jesus had to stop her and say, look, Martha, you're worried and you're troubled by many, many things, but only one thing is needful right now. And Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. My friends, even work, even work that's good work, can get to be too much. Even leisure, that is good leisure, can get to be too much. And so in the midst of all of these New Testament stories about doing good work, comes this little reminder to us that we need to take a break from time to time. No, we need to take a break on a regular basis just to sit at the feet of Jesus, to absorb his words, and to absorb his spirit. That's what this time together in worship today and every Sunday that we gather is all about. We need to work, yeah, but we also need to worship. So don't let your life get all out of balance here. We need to work, but we also need to worship. And so I hope that as we leave here today, that we will be able to remember both of these sisters with great affection. Martha, the doer, and Mary, perhaps a little spoiled and definitely a bit rebellious. But, she, but the one who knew that time spent in the presence of Jesus is precious time indeed. And I hope that we can learn from Mary that we need that time with Christ as well. Amen. We are going to observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper in just a moment. This is a, an ordinance in which everyone is invited to partake and to participate. It is an ordinance where Christ invites you to his table. And we are all invited and encouraged to partake of the blood and the body of Christ as we share it. So let me invite our deacons to come forward and take their place at the front and be seated for just a moment because we have a song before we will engage in our um, ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Christine Cornelius will be coming and sharing with us in song, The Lamb of God.
How many of you sometimes feel overwhelmed with the things that you have to accomplish? Most of us, many of us do. Um, I know that every week I start out the week, I have, have it, a file in my computer called weekly to-do list. And I print it out every Monday and I add to it throughout the week and I scratch out during the week and it never completely disappears. Um, and most of us are, are, are like that. We have a lot to do. We're very busy people. We are a very busy society. And even if we are busy in doing wonderful, good things, I'm, good, I'm glad for opportunities like this where we can stop for a minute. And recognize what Christ has done for us. We get so busy that we take that for granted. We take for granted the fact that Christ is the Lamb of God. That He came to this earth and became a human being. And not only a human being, but a servant. And was obedient even unto death on the cross. That's what Philippians tells us. And that is, a, that is such a wonderful, wonderful gift to us. And such a wonderful demonstration of God's great love for us. But I wonder how often we get so busy that we forget to think about that. And so as we share communion with God and with one another today. This is your task. Remember. Remember what Christ has done for you.
The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks. He said, this is my blood that is shed for you. The blood of a new covenant. We begin something new today. Take and drink. Thanks be to God. God is in this place. I was looking for my worship folder. To t- Can somebody tell me what the worship, what the song is? Two ten. We're going to sing a, 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 a hymn of response. Number two ten. Two twelve. Can somebody tell me the right number? <laughs> two twelve is our hymn of response, and it's a little chorus. Uh, so we'll sing it through a couple of times, but it's an opportunity for you to respond in some way to the moving of God's Holy Spirit in your life in whatever way you feel is appropriate. Some of you, uh, someone here, may need to make a commitment to Jesus Christ today for the first time, realizing that God does love us so much that His Son, Jesus Christ, would come to this earth and give His life for us. And that's what we have done today. We have remembered that we have taken a little time out of our busy schedule and we have remembered that maybe you need to make that commitment to such a God as that perhaps you would like to come and unite with our church at Community Baptist Church we invite you to do that or maybe you just need to come and have a little moment of prayer we invite you to do that If God's dealing in your heart in any way today, we invite you to come as we sing 212. Would you come? God, we have been in your presence. Like Mary, we have sat at your feet 
We have heard your word and communed with you at your table. You have fed us with the truth and with the bread of life. And we are grateful for the time that we have spent together today. But now it's time for us to leave. And so as we go, let us be like Martha. Let us go to work. Let us go to witness to the life that Christ gives to each of us. And let us go with the sure knowledge that Christ goes with us. And may we all be holy, set aside for your work, O God, and unblameable in your sight. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.